the first Sikha of Dvorim. So, we have two very curious statements in the Talmud. One in Masech the Sofrim, a short tractate about uh, Torah books and Torah scrolls, and another in the Talmudic tractate of Shabbos. The first says as follows, that there was a time when the Jews were asked, compelled, to translate the Torah to Greek for the Greek king, Talmai HaMelech. And that day was as difficult for the Jewish people as the day of the building of the golden calf, unquote. And then there's another statement in the Talmud which says that there was a day when Shammai and his school was victorious over Hillel and his school in various arguments, where normally the law would come down like Hillel, which was usually the majority, but in that case, it seems that Shammai was the majority that day, and or Shammai's arguments um, were victorious over Hillel's. And Hillel sat before Shammai subdued, like one of the students. Says the Talmud, that day was as difficult for the Jewish people, like a day of the making of the golden calf. Says the Rebbe, how do we understand these statements? We're talking about two seemingly benign events. They translated the Torah to Greek. It's as bad as the day of the making of the golden calf. What's wrong with translating the Torah to Greek? In fact, Moses translated the Torah to Greek into all 70 languages. And it's in the portion of Tzvodim, right at the beginning of the parsha. The language is that he explained the Torah very well, says Rashi from the Medrash and the Talmud, that he translated to 70 languages. We find later that when the Jews entered the land of Israel, they were told to inscribe the Torah on stones in 70 languages. So translation of the Torah is not a bad thing. In all languages, including Greek, especially Greek. It is said that Greek has an edge over all the other languages. That the, There's opinions that say that you can write the Torah in Hebrew and in Greek. So what was wrong? What was so terrible that the Talmud says such a dramatic statement? That they were compelled to translate the Torah for Talmud the king into Greek. Terrible day. It's like the golden calf was built. Why? Translation of Torah is like a mitzvah. Moshe did it. And the same thing, and even more so. Shammai was victorious over Hillel. Shammai has a Torah opinion like Hillel does. Most of the times Hillel wins, and this time Shammai won. Fair and square. I'm sure they, either because of majority or because their arguments over, over you know, were, were overpowering and were deemed to be correct, and Hillel accepted it. It's all good. That's the system of Torah. It's a terrible thing. Like the golden calf is being made. So the Rebbe's answer, initial answer, and then the Rebbe goes deeper. The initial answer, the Rebbe says, look at the language of the uh, Talmudic statements. In both cases, it doesn't say that that occurrence was as bad as the golden calf. It says that day was as bad as the day of the making of the golden calf. The Torah, the Talmud, it's precise. Why doesn't it just say, translation of Torah is like making a golden calf. Shabbai winning is like making a golden calf. It doesn't say that, because it's not true. The golden calf is terrible, and these things were not so terrible, if at all. However, those things were as bad as the day of the golden calf. Says the Rebbe, let's look at that day. Nothing really bad happened. They made that golden calf. But in the language of Aaron, he was trying to postpone the Jewish people from worshiping, and he said um, it, it, to buy time, tomorrow will be a holiday for God. And what he's misleading them to believe is that he's just going to say to them, good job, you made this golden calf, great. 
you know, get a good night's sleep because tomorrow we're going to celebrate it. But in his mind, he's thinking by then Moshe will come. I will never get, get to worship the golden calf. And it will, in fact, be a holiday for God. But bottom line is that that day itself wasn't bad. It was just a potentially a day that led to bad. Not just bad, terrible. The day itself, they made a golden calf. Potentially it could have turned out good. Had Moshe come in time and the Jews did not get to worship it. And Moshe would say to the Jews and point out the wrong of their ways. And they would all crush it to smithereens and celebrate that there's only one God. It would have been a good day. It would have been a victorious day for Hashem. So potentially it was bad. Actually, it wasn't yet bad. But it's still looked at as, a, as an infamous day in history. The day when the golden calf was built. Because watch out, if this is not kept in check, it can become the worst day in history, which is what happened the next day. Similarly, on a much more subtle level, of course, much more subtle level, when Torah is translated to Greek for a non-Jewish king, now the Torah can be taken out of context. In and of itself, it's not a bad thing. Maybe it's an okay thing. But it can be lost in translation and misconstrued and can become dangerous, as proven by the fact that the sages who translated the Torah made certain pivotal changes, miraculously, right? There were 72, 70 sages that, that were in separate rooms and they made the same exact changes so that Torah should not be misunderstood and taken out of context because there is a good chance that it will be when you translate Torah to Greek for a Greek king. And therefore, potentially, that day was as bad as the day of the golden calf because it could have been terrible. It could have been taken out of context and it could have been a mess, but it worked out. It wasn't. Unlike the golden calf, which became a terrible tomorrow, here the tomorrow was fine. And similarly, if Shammai wins, even though Shammai won fair and square, but if the Jews start mistreating Hillel, who is the leader, and the ruling should go like Hillel, because Hillel's people and Hillel were humble and kind and patient, and that's how Torah ruling is supposed to be, and because they're majority. So it's Bashar from heaven that they should be the ones that are victorious. But if Shammai had a day where all the laws went his way that day, and Hillel is sitting subdued and subjugated and humbled in a, in a bad way, so to speak. Potentially, this can turn around Jewish law and the whole system where Hillel is supposed to be right and uh, potentially could lead to a bad outcome, but in fact, it did not. After that day, the Jews again continued following the rulings of Hillel, and not only that, Shammai himself gained a new respect for Hillel. By the way, we don't see Shammai as a bad guy in Torah and as a mean guy in Torah. He's a holy tzaddik, but he leaned in the strict way. And when he was right, he was right. But here he saw Hillel who was, who was sitting with such humility. And there's no doubt that Shammai was a humble person like any tzaddik. But Hillel excelled in humility. It says that he was a, a reincarnation of, 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 of Moses. And he's sitting there like one of the students, totally subdued and totally embracing Shammai's opinion when Shammai was right. Hillel learned from this how to be humble on a Hillel. So that in the future, when Hillel was right, which was every other day, he embraced it and accepted it. So it ended up being a net net positive that he that Shammai embraced Hillel's rulings. Furthermore, says the Rebbe, that uh, perhaps this out of this came that there was a number of rulings that Shammai, who was always stricter, became lenient. He sort of learned something from Hillel from that day. So it was a net net positive. It was only potentially a bad day. So that's the first way the way the Rebbe explains these two statements of the Talmud. They're both potentially bad. They're both like the day when the golden calf was created. Although the golden calf actually created a tragic tomorrow 
whereas these two occurrences did not. And the Rebbe digs further and says that everything in Torah is so perfect and precise that there needs to be a connection in content between these two occurrences, namely the translation of Torah to Greek and Shama being victorious over Hill to the message and the theme of the golden calf. It can't just be, you know, that general connection. But, you know, watch out, this can be a slippery slope. Because this is Talmud, this is part of Torah. There needs to really be a similarity between these three things. Says the Rebbe, let's analyze the golden calf. This looked at carefully. The Jews were not looking for a replacement for God. They were looking for a replacement for Moses. That's the language in the text. They say to Aaron, make for us Elohim, a God, a strength, a power, a leader, because this Moses, we don't know where he went, unquote. So they're really looking for a replacement for Moses. Now, there probably were people who, who had terrible intentions, but most of the Jews went along with this. Why? They really thought this is an okay thing. This is a good thing. That Moses was an intermediary, and they appreciate that intermediary because as much as you believe in God, you don't see him and feel him and touch him. He's far out. It's hard to have a real relationship with a God that you can't see. So that the relationship to God is not just subjugation and following um, his rules and regs just out of commitment. But ultimately, it's not supposed to be about just faith alone. We're supposed to understand it in our minds and our hearts and love Hashem and feel Hashem and understand Hashem. How is that possible? Only through the concept of a Moses. Namely, a human being who's a man of God, Ishalokim, a human being who you see and feel and touch and who has a mind and a heart, like a human being, so to speak, but whose mind and heart is completely infused and merged with God's thinking and feeling. And now you and I, the other, the rest of the Jews, have that Moses. So now they can really connect. So they got it. They recognize the power of Moses to bring Hashem to their sensibilities, to make the relationship real and internal. Moses is now gone. They say, hey, we need something physical right here. And you know what? Let's go one better. Instead of just having a human being that brings Hashem down, let's even go lower. Let's bring God to the inanimate, to the lowest physicality, which is the real stuff of the world that we live in. Let's make a, a piece of gold into that intermediary between us and God. They weren't looking to replace God. They're just looking to access God. So like all the sins in the Torah, with good intention on some level. Why was it wrong? In fact, it is said that one of the reasons they wanted a golden calf because they knew by tradition that there's going to be a temple, a mishkan, and later a Migdash, and therein there will be cherubs. What is a cherub if not a graven image? And through those cherubs, the kruvim, will come the voice of God. So they were onto something. Just like there's a Moses, who's a man of God, who sort of brings Hashem down to us. Heck, let's bring it even closer. And Hashem will even command us to have cherubs. Golden items, the shape of cherubs, whatever, from whom will be conveyed the voice of Hashem. So let's get going. Let's get working. Moses is not here. Let's get straight to the cherubs. And they built what in their minds was going to be the forerunners of the cherubs of the temple. And it will be a golden image. And God will sort of come through it. We're bringing God down. It further, the Rebbe substantiates this with many things, including the Medrash, which tells us that the, how they get the idea to make a golden calf and why a calf. Maybe they should, if they're looking to worship idols, they should have modeled after the Egyptian 
a task with the Egyptian hosts where they just came from, who worshipped, you know, the sheep. And the answer is the Jews weren't looking to worship idols. They would never worship sheep. They gave up idolatry. They denounced it by tying the sheep to their bed for four days. They took the calf because at Sinai, they saw Hashem, so to speak. You can't really see Hashem, but they saw Hashem's chariot, the Merkava, which is described in detail in the prophet Ezekiel, and the four faces of the chariot, one of them being the ox. And they borrowed that concept of the ox and they created the calf, the baby ox. They sort of speak brought that spiritual lofty concept of an angel with an axe-like image into a physical calf-like image. I guess the, the baby, the son of, the next generation, so to speak, of uh, the, 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 the axe-like angel of God's chariot. And this is all just ways of accessing God, of bringing God down to the world of shape and form and tangibility. All good intention. Why was it wrong? Says the Rebbe, because when you're talking about an intermediary, you got to be very, very careful. If that intermediary is coming from Hashem, then it's just a funnel for Hashem. People ask, how can a Moshe be an intermediary? Isn't that idolatry? By extension, all the prophets, all the Rebbe's, all the tzaddikim. The whole Judaism comes through Moshe and through Moses. Moses is tzaddikim. Isn't that an intermediary? Isn't that considered traif? The biggest sin to believe in a human as a divinity? And the answer is no, because we don't see them as a human, as a divinity. They are ordained by God. Moses is ordained by God as his emissary, as his prophet. And therefore, he's just a funnel. That's the analogy that's given. Think about a funnel. If you have a giant vat and you're trying to pour the liquid into a tiny cup, it's impossible without a funnel. But when you put that funnel in place, what is the little cup getting from the vat? Only what was in the vat, nothing else. The funnel changed nothing. That's what a Moshe Rabbeinu is. That's what a Rebbe is. Giving us a lakus, God, albeit an intermediary, but not an intermediary which, God forbid, separates, which most intermediaries do because they have their own existence. And therefore, in some fashion, it's going to be lost in translation. But rather, it's just a funnel. They're just taking the exact liquid, the exact material from the vat into the cup. The analogy is not brought in the Sikha, but it's an analogy brought elsewhere in Chassidus to explain what a Moshe Rabbeinu is, and by extension, all the tzaddikim and the rabbeim, etc., which in Judaism is such a big deal, such an important part of Torah. The whole Torah is a story about Moshe. Whereas we completely frown upon any intermediary, any human intermediary. This is idolatry. And here we say, no, they believe in Hashem and in Moshe, his servant. And what is a yid without a rebbe, etc., etc.? We're not even supposed to doubt for one second the words of our rebbe and our tzaddikim and our chachamim and the words of the Talmud is holy and pure. Why? Because these are intermediaries that just merely funnel. It's all just elokus that you're getting. And what decides that? Because they're ordained by Hashem. They're totally humble. They're prophets that are created by Hashem for that purpose, and they're just His extension. The analogy is that the king, when he went to sleep, he had a custom that he would put his crown on a mannequin to keep it safe for the night. His faithful servant who helped him prepare himself for bed said to him one day, you know, your majesty, it's not becoming that your crown should sit on a mannequin. Put it on my head. 
I'm your faithful servant. I'm not some kind of piece of wood. And I'll stand here frozen all night long right outside your bedroom. I will not move a limb. It'll be my honor to hold your crown for you. To which the king answered, uh-uh. I'd rather put it on a mannequin because the mannequin will not think for one moment that he's a king. You might. And the analog of this is that the tzaddikim, the rebbes, the prophets, which are all really an extension of Moshe Rabbeinu of Moses and of his soul, what makes them a conduit for Hashem? Because like the mannequin, they don't for one second think of themselves as anything. There's total bittle. Like a mannequin, they're carrying the crown of Hashem. Not one iota of ego and etc., of selfishness or what have you, and therefore, yes, they're a conduit. Another analogy that comes to mind might be an antenna. The antenna says so much, but it's not about the antenna at all. That kind of intermediary is not only kosher, but absolutely necessary, and it's a gift from Hashem, and the whole Torah comes through Moses. And the same thing is with the cherubs in the temple, which are holy. The loftiest thing in the Beis HaMikdash, the Kruvim on top of the Ark, versus the epitome of holiness, the epitome of unholiness. And the answer is, who ordained it? If God ordained it and said, these are my cherubs, this is my antenna, this is my extension, this is my mannequin. Absolutely. God can choose how he wants to be manifest, but it's all him. This is just antennas and funnels, mannequins. Whereas if we decide, ha, let's find a way, let's find an image that we choose, and we're going to try to access Hashem, we just created a middleman. We created a statement that says that God is not the only thing, he needs help. There's something else that has power and that could access. Hence all idolatry, worshiping images of stars and images of people and images of animals, albeit with the faith that there's still God as the supreme God. This is all idolatry. Certainly for a Jew and probably for everybody. Because by extension, it means that there's other things that exist and that are separate from Hashem. So that intermediary, so to sum it up, what is this problem with the golden calf? Because it looks for intermediaries that come from us that are man-made, trafe, a violation of the second of the Ten Commandments, whereas an intermediary that God ordains, namely Moses and the tzaddikim, or the cherubs, that intermediary is just an extension of Hashem. Parenthetically, if you think about it, all of Judaism is images. You see a Jew do a mitzvah. A person is kissing a toe. It looks like idolatry if you don't know how it works. A person is shaking a lula with such love. Etc., etc., lighting a candle for Shabbos, kissing a mezuzah, all these things are images. Hashem and His kindness gave us the Torah in our world, and we're able to touch Elokos in all of these forms. But all they are really are antenna for Hashem, a mannequin for Hashem, an extension, because they are ordained by Hashem. But if I decide to create my own way to access Hashem, trafe as far away from the holiness of a Torah and of a mitzvah, filling of Shabbos, lich as can possibly be. They're both images, and they're both said to be a reflection of Hashem. Yes, the only difference is who ordained that. If it's ordained by God, it's just an extension. If it's ordained by us, it's a distraction, and it's idolatry, because it's a contradiction to Achtos Hashem, where everything is Hashem. That's what the golden calf was about. Not replacing God, but seeing another power besides God as an important player in accessing God. That's the sin of the golden calf. 
Now that we got that down pat, says the Rebbe, let's explain it in the other two Talmudic stories. They translated the Torah in 70 languages, uh, to Talmud the king in Greek. Is it good or bad? So we're saying this means that you're bringing Torah down. And it's dangerous. Now, we just learned that Moses translated Torah to 70 languages, and that was considered a-okay, maybe even a mitzvah. And the answer is, depends who's translating it. If Moses is translating it, and he's translating it, as Moses does, there's complete faith in Hashem and in Torah, and he's being strict and true to the translation. That's a good day. You're taking the truth of Torah from Hebrew, and then you're translating it into Greek, into all 70 languages. You're actually bringing the Torah down. To permeate out all languages, all nations. It's a, it, it's a tikkun, it's a bitter, it's a purification of all languages and all nations because it's coming top down. It's coming based on the truth of Torah that we're trying to infuse. Conversely, when Talmud, the Greek, who's not necessarily a believer in Torah, maybe he was a nice guy and he wanted to know, but he was coming to test Torah. He wasn't sworn, he wasn't coming with an attitude of faith. Proof is the sages have to make important changes. And had they not, Right out in the first verse, they had to make a change, which could have been misconstrued as a denial of God as the only being. Because Bereshis bar Kim can mean that Bereshis created God. And they had to change it to say, Elohim bar Bereshis, that God created in the beginning. And the same with the other changes that they made. Because you're talking about someone who is not using translation as just a way to expand truth, but as a way from the bottom up to test it and access it on a subtle level, it's a form of a golden calf. Let's see what Torah says in Greek. And it's very dangerous, potentially. Although it did work out. And in the end, it actually elevated Greek. And in some sense, it seems like it was a good day in the end. Because in fact, it did work out that Torah permeated Greek. And I guess through that, it will permeate all the languages. And that's why now, the previous Rebbe encouraged us to translate Torah in all languages. It's an extension, I guess, of Moshe Rabbeinu translating Torah. But even that day of Talmud was turned out to be good, but potentially it was very, very dangerous. And it was very similar to the making of the Golden Gap. It could be lost in translation. It could be lost by the intermediary. And says the Rebbe a similar thing on a much more lofty level. This needs to be taken with a grain of salt on a much holier level. Shammai and Hillel, these are perfect tzaddikim. And all of their opinions are Torah truths. But on a very fine level, says the Rebbe, why is it that Torah ordained that the halacha is like Hillel versus Shammai? And it was Bashert that it was always more Hillel nicks in the shul, in the yeshiva than Shammai nicks, so that the halacha should be lenient and not strict. The Rebbe says on a Hasidic level, you know, there are things in the world which are kosher. And you can use them and you can elevate them to Kedusha. There are things that are where which are trafe and need to be dismissed. And that's how you elevate them by dismissing them. But then there are things that we're not sure. And we have a choice to say yes or no, kosher or trafe. <laughs> Says the Rebbe on a very subtle level, the attitude of saying that something is trafe represents an attitude that says that the world is a threat to God. On some very subtle level, it's a golden calf. There's something else that has something to say that is that can contribute to life and to God's truth, not just God alone. So here too, I, I'm, I'm looking at this neutral thing that can go either way. 
So if I have an attitude of Hillel, I say if Hashem created it, and if it's not trafe, it's probably kosher. It's probably holy. I probably can embrace it and elevate it because it's part of God's world. How could something really not be kosher? When I have the attitude, Hillel, you might say, has the attitude that everything's kosher until proven trafe, and Shammai, everything's trafe until proven kosher. That latter attitude on some level is because the approach is that physicality is a distraction to God. But how could it be? At the end of the day, everything is a show. There are some opinions that say that ultimately everything will be kosher. We know the Chazar will become kosher when Mashiach comes. Ultimately, in, in essence, there can't be anything that's really ultimately unkosher and trafe because it's Ened Muvade. Everything is a show. So if something is trafe, it's trafe. Hashem said so, and for whatever reason, that's the way we're going to access Hashem in it by dismissing it. But, but if something's questionable, Meaning to say what you're really saying is, how do you view the neutral? Do you view them as a distraction to be crushed? Or do you view them as a potential divinity to be elevated? Shammai takes the former, Hillel takes the latter. And therefore Shammai being victorious on some very, very lofty, fine level. We are lending ourselves to the thinking of the golden calf that there are things besides Hashem that have leverage. Very deep. The Rebbe concludes the Sikha by saying, just like in the two Talmudic cases, things ended up right. They could have not, but they worked out well. The translation into Greek worked out. And in fact, we now celebrate it and we translate the Torah all over the place. Let's call it Moses. Correct, holy translation, top-down, divinely ordained translation of Torah. Somehow permeated the Greek translation. The man... Uh, made the the Greek translation and it permeated it and it worked out. This is my interpretation, but I think this is what the Sikh is saying. Similarly, the fact that Shammai's approach uh, being victorious won them over that in the future greet to Hillel even more so. They embraced Hillel because they saw Hillel's humility and therefore they picked up on it. And when Hillel was right the rest of the time, they embraced it to the point where there are numerous cases where Shammai became the lenient opinion. So Shammai sort of rubbed off from Hillel and bought into this deeper level of Achtos Hashem where everything is God and even the traif can somehow be kosher. Says the Rebbe. And ultimately, even the first primary case of this type of issue, namely the day of the golden calf, which in that case, the tomorrow did not work out well. It worked out tragically. Ultimately, it will. And the Rebbe quotes the Arizal, that when Aaron Akoin said to the people, tomorrow will be a holiday to God, again, on the face of it, he's trying to buy some time. Or he was saying, hopefully, words wishful thinking that Moshe will come and we will celebrate Hashem. It did not work out that way. But says the Arizal, the words of a tzaddik must always come true. Aaron Akai, one of the greatest tzaddikim of all time, said, that the tomorrow of the golden calf will be a holiday for Hashem, will be a good thing. When will that come true? So the Arizal explains that it will when Mashiach comes. We know in Torah, when it says the word machar, tomorrow, it doesn't always mean tomorrow. It means sometimes in the future, as in the famous verse, that we read uh, in connection to Pesach, when your child will ask you tomorrow to explain uh, the traditions of the, the Pesach Seder, it doesn't mean tomorrow, it means in the future. 
So when Aaron says Chag that this day of the breaking of the tablets, which was the 17th of Tammuz, will become a holiday to Hashem tomorrow, it's because we know prophetically from the Tanakh that that day of the fast days and all the sad fast days will be transformed to days of Yom Tif when Mashiach comes. Because ultimately, just like the other two things, this is again a little bit of my interpretation. The golden calf. We saw physicality as separate from Hashem. That thinking will be transformed into Achtos Hashem. Ultimately, when Mashiach comes, what is the greatness of the Mashiach time? That even a world, as we see it, it's not going to become fly away and become heavenly, and become miraculous. It's not going to all the whole world be like the Beis Migdash, where you don't see nature, you see miracle. No, nature will remain nature. Which that means, it's not a cherub like in the temple, which is a miraculous cherub. We're not all going to become Moshe and Tzadikim. We're going to be human, and the physical world around us will remain physical. It's much closer to a golden calf than it is to a cherub. And that physicality, which represents, so to speak, itself, represents nature, not miracle, not the holiness of the temple, will also be recognized that that too, nature is miracle, where that too, all of the physical world is also part of Hashem, which is in a sense a greater accomplishment of Achtos Hashem. And I think that's what the Sikha is really saying. Just like in those two other cases, it was proven. Obviously, a much more subtle distraction for Achtos Hashem was proven to really extend Achtos Hashem, even to Shammai, even to Greek and the 70 languages. The ultimate uh, distraction to Achtos Hashem, namely the golden calf, idolatry, all the physicality, will ultimately be recognized to all be part of Hashem. The whole physical is Hashem. Even nature is really just a cherub. We want Mashiach now.